So I've been, you know, slipping words here and there, you know, uh, book voucher, book voucher. And so hopefully Luke's been paying attention. What do you think? Do you think Joan's been paying attention to your deepest needs and desires, Gareth? Well, yeah. I mean, More books. I think Joan's going to give me uh, nothing. Um, oh, you've been a naughty boy. I have been a naughty boy. I feel boy. so wrong saying that in a rabbit costume. I know, right? Where's the, <laughs> where's the rope? Um Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pleasure of the Text podcast, a shared imagined space where readers and writers make meaning together. I'm so excited for today because it's our Christmas special, and we are reviewing Orichan, Cursed Bunny. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. This is our Christmas special. We have eggnog. Uh, we have coffee that is not spiked on Garrison. Um, and for all of those that don't celebrate Christmas, have a very merry day listening to us. So why did we choose Curse Bunny? Uh, so I remember you telling me, Gareth, that uh, traditionally an English tradition was to read a horror story on Christmas. Yeah, ghost stories, ghost stories. Uh, and this this has lots of ghosts in it, so it's very appropriate. Very appropriate. There's horror element, there's magical realism elements. So Bora Chung, bit of bio on her. Bora Chung has written three novels and three collections of short stories. She has an MA in Russian and Eastern European Area Studies from Yale University and a PhD in Slavic Literature from Indiana University. She currently teaches Russian Language and Literature and Science Fiction Studies at Yonsei University and translates modern literary works from Russian and Polish into Korean. So that's pretty amazing. And also Anton Hurt was born in Stockholm, Sweden. So that is the translator of this work from Korean into English. Thank you so much, Anton Hurt. So what is Curse Bunny all about? Curse Bunny is a genre-defying collection of short stories by Korean author Bora Chung. Blurring the lines between magical realism, horror, and science fiction, Chung uses elements of the fantastic and surreal to address the very real horrors and cruelties of patriarchy and capitalism in modern society. Yes. Well, I mean, th there you go. That's it in a nutshell. I feel like we should uh, address the bunny in the room and, uh, and talk about what you're wearing. So you are the cursed bunny. Oh, yes. Um, if you listen to our prior week's podcast, go check them out. Uh, we were talking about, you know, Christmasing this up, horroring it up. There was going to be a freak show of Halloween, Easter and Christmas all in one. So, yes, I have arrived as the Curse Bunny. You have, you have. And for those who are just listening, uh, we have terrifying black bunny ears and a sort of a Mardi Gras mask that makes you, you remind me a little bit of 1960s Catwoman, Shannon. Uh, oh, really? Cat, bun, no, Bunny Woman? Bunny Woman. Uh, Here to give everyone curses. Oh, my God. You know, if you're just listening to this on one of the listening platforms, you probably should just pop over to YouTube and have a quick look. Whereas I am a mixture, I think, of Frankenstein, uh, just by nature, and <laughs> uh and Santa Claus, and I've got my – I'm learning to be Santa Claus, so I've got my pom-pom 
to the right, and when I graduate from Santa school, it will go over to the left. But for now, I'm just a junior, a junior so Santa. You're saying that all those Santa Clauses that I see in the shopping centres are your colleagues in work placement? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that X-Files episode where the character oh my God, um, squeezes down the chimney. I'm So I'm learning to do that and it's not going well. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I am doing that and uh, I'm not I'm not eating anyone's liver, so I suppose that's good. Uh, but I haven't earned that right yet, but we'll work towards that. So you haven't earned the right to the, the cookies and the beer. <laughs> and the liver. Yes, yes. So um, what was it? No, it's – oh, let's not worry about that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, cursed bunny, cursed bunny. I like to uh, hold this picture up and imagine my face on it. Um, it's an interesting collection, is it? Is it genre-defying? Would you say, Shannon? Uh, oh, why do you always have to hit me with the hard questions, Gareth? Uh, genre-defying. What does genre-defying mean? I suppose, is it breaking any genres? No. Well, But it is a mix of genres. Yeah. That- I mean, I don't really understand why the blurb says it was uh, genre-defying. I, I don't think it is. I think it's playing with genre. Um, you can see – actually, there's a great LA Times review of this book, which, um, you know, if you if you really want some deep insights, go and read that one. If you want to Christmas it up with us, stay here. But in that review, um, the writer, the uh, reviewer, Noah Blatsky, uh, writes, over the course of the collection, Chung dabbles in science fiction, fantasy, fable, and horror. I think that's all true. The last is her most typical mode. She's especially fond of an EC Comics Sixth Sense style twist, in which you learn that an important character is dead or a ghost or unreal. Chung uses that trick in half of the 10 selections here, enough that it ceases to be a shock and starts feeling like an irritant or a cop-out. Rather than disorientating you, the last-minute flip of narrative reality becomes so expected it's almost comforting. As in the less interesting versions of genre, you know what's coming. Mm. Is that a fair, uh, a fair criticism, would you say? In some aspect, yes. We talked a bit about this before, and I said that I enjoyed the first two stories. I enjoyed the first half more than the second half whereas you enjoyed the second half more than the first half. And I think that is like the difference there in terms of those half that do, half that don't follow that classic ending that we see in a lot of these short stories. I have just moved from reading uh, Japanese short stories, which very much the ending just happens. You turn the page, it just peters out, and you're kind of left wondering, oh, where's my big reveal? So from my Western sense, um, moving into Curse Bunny, it was a relief to kind of have that nice ending towards the end. But I do agree towards the end, I got a little bit tired of it. Yeah, it, it's kind of halfway, isn't it? It's, it sits halfway between the two. It, it, in a sense, it does just end because you often can tell what the ending is going to be. But it does have, if you like, trick endings or neat endings uh, that are more familiar in in Western literature. So it's it's sort of straddling the two, I think. 
But I, I think with, you know, so it's variations on a theme uh, and you get that, you, you get Frankenstein narratives, uh, you get the, the ghost reveal narrative and that keeps repeating. And as we go through the stories, because I think we'll go through the stories one by one, you you kind of see that these themes repeat. And, I, and in a sense, the story's working the same way, essentially, having the same clockwork every time. Um, I think that I found that there was a general improvement or a sophistication in the approach as the book went on. So, because I, the early stories, I was like, I feel like I know where this is going, but I'm probably wrong. And then it had turned out I, I wasn't wrong, which, which made me feel even more wrong. Um, and, and so that was, I was disappointed with the early stories. I was thinking, what's all this then? Kept repeating the same uh, movements. Um, I feel like to an extent, the, the stories or perhaps my reading was allowed to roam a bit within these structures and i enjoyed the latter half of the book a lot more than the uh, first few stories yeah in terms of the same uh clockwork happening in every one of these stories yes but she also does it so the first two stories cover body horror then there's a few that are fable so the snare and also scars very fable so operating in a different kind of style and then you've got the horror ones with the ghost stories and then reunion, which is, you said, your favourite. Mm. Um, yeah, I would say that most of the endings do end very similar. Well, what we'll do is we'll go through, we'll go through the stories and we'll basically identify what they are, more or less, and then we'll see which ones, you know, out of the 10, you know, we'll do type A, type B. We'll, we'll sort of do it that way and, and see what we come up with. Okay. So now the first story in the collection was The Head. Is that right? Or is it just Head? The Head. The Head. So this is essentially one about a woman whose uh, fecal matter and other waste starts forming itself into a head. And I suppose it's like, you know, seeing uh, cows in the clouds um, presumably we've all at one time or another looked into the bowl and said, that looks like me or have we, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> the, essentially this is what happens. She looks into the bowl, sees herself or sees something representative of a living creature and that creature grows. Um, it's very much like a golem from, uh, the Polish tradition. Jewish? Oh, it's Jewish, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's that sort of sense of uh, it's her truth. I remember the 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 legend goes that you write "meth" on the on the head of a golem. I'm not suggesting anyone carve this into their into their stools, but you you write "meth" on the head of a golem, and then it gets bigger every day. And it's an "meth" means truth, and the truth gets bigger every day until finally it becomes overwhelming and you cross out the E and that gives you meth and meth means death. And that could also mm -hmm. be a public service announcement to the kids out there. Kids, meth means death. So yeah. So I feel like this is doing that a little bit. It's a golem story. How, yeah. did, how did you read it? I read it as 
So first of all, I want to say one of the reasons I love this story was because her pacing in this story was immaculate. So she starts off as a young woman, then she gets married, has a child, becomes old. And the movement between that time span of her life was just seamless. It was really easy to read. What I see, what this story means is that it's loss. So the fecal matter is the loss of all the stuff that she no longer is. And that's why towards the end, this uh, thing in the toilet becomes her, the younger version, the more beautiful version, what she used to be. Um, And so that's why I think uh, one of the strong themes running through the story is loss. Okay. Well, let's put in loss as well. I kind of saw the ending of that one coming. Uh, Okay. And I thought, well, clearly it's not going to do the most obvious thing, but it does. It does the most obvious thing. And I, so early on in the collection, I kind of thought, well, gosh, that could have been more surprising. Because when you think about literature that really moves you, it, you know, the, the, the classic definition of the best literature is that it makes you look at things in a way you've never seen them before, uh, but will always see them in the future. So I I saw this going the way it went. Uh, And so for me, that was a bit disappointing. I thought, oh, well, what are you going to do? But could it have gone any other way, given the clot work of this story? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think, I guess it follows a a Gollum narrative, I think. Um, And so it's really a matter of either destroying the Gollum or the Gollum destroying you. Think of it, yeah, I think it's a kind of a scatological Frankenstein, which is not something you'd say every day. Um, And that leads us into the second story. And do you want to give us an outline of that Uh, one? The second story is The Embodiment, and it starts off with a young woman who is having a heavy flow period lasting for 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, and it goes on and on. So she eventually goes to see a doctor who recommends that she takes birth control pills to control her flow. She takes this for three months. Uh, It doesn't clear up and then she just continues taking it. Uh, And then six months, it's all cleared and she goes to the doctor uh, because she's feeling a little bit ill and the doctor says that she is pregnant, even though she's not been with anyone. Uh, Very Jane the Virgin-esque and very uh, Christmas, isn't it? Uh, So, yeah, look at us, tying stuff in. Um, But then the doctor says, Uh, you know, you're pregnant, this baby will not come out right unless you find a father to have sex with and seed it and become the baby's dad. So then the story is her trying to find a father for this child. Um, Once again, uh, we got the nine-month period from the beginning of the child to the end. I thought the pacing in this was beautiful and I just loved the idea and the concept. And so what were your thoughts on uh, the embodiment? Yeah, um, again, I think it has an element of being a Frankenstein story. You know, there's a a creation, it's somewhat accidental uh, creation, but nonetheless. And and I think that whole truth-death dichotomy is playing out in the embodiment. I suppose that we should add at this point that we're not doing spoilers where – we're treading around the stories without giving away the endings. So that's that's pretty sneaky of us. But I do highly recommend you go and read this book. It's a short one. They're easy stories to read and they're quite enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. Um, 
But yeah, the embodiment I think is is another golem narrative. It's it's a variation on the theme. So instead of uh, a child made of fecal matter, we have a child made of blood or menstrual blood specifically, and the absence of a father in both narratives. So we have immaculate conceptions each time. So, yeah, but I still would say it's a a golem story. I've heard that um, these two stories are described as body horror. Did you want to explain that a bit more? Yeah. um, So so body horror, I think, stems from fears we have around our bodies and around the functioning of our bodies. David Cronenberg has made a career out of making movies around body horror where people develop um, slots in their stomach where they can put in VCR tapes and their hands morph into guns. Oh, yeah, no, it's great stuff. David Cronenberg, check it out, folks. How handy. I mean, women always have, like, pants with no pockets. How handy would it be to have a slit in your stomach? Yeah, but it's a VHS slit. And I always think, you know, like, if you had the VHS slit and then oh, you're getting into... Oh, for a video. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then, it's not like know, a handy pocket. No, it's not like a, a pocket. Kangaroo. It's, it's You can play the video. But, you know, obviously that dates and this is, you know, at least go for Betamax, I say, but this is where that's fallen out. So, yeah, body horror is where, you know, we have narratives where we spontaneously start to rot and, you know, a person might think they're becoming a a zombie um, or, uh, you know, bits of their body might start turning to metal. This is all very body horror kind of stuff. And this, this falls into that very much so. So so I would say the first two stories are essentially uh, golem stories of a sort. Would you also tell us about Cursed Bunny? Because I know, Shannon, you loved Cursed Bunny. And yes, you are the I Cursed did. Bunny. So. I am the Cursed Bunny. The story starts off with uh, a young protagonist talking to her grandfather, or the gran- grandfather talking to her, about the story of the Cursed Bunny. She is from a family that creates curses that you uh, people come and buy and they give to other people. So the Cursed Bunny is the grandfather's story of how he had a best friend uh, who owned a sake company or was trying to go into the alcohol industry. It went under because of bad um, underhanded practices, I would say. And that friend killed himself and to get his revenge. The grandpa created the curse, the Cursed Bunny. And this Cursed Bunny does a whole bunch of awful stuff and I'm not going to give it away because it's really good at the end we're not doing spoilers so I'm not going to tell you the end but there is okay now I'm going to stop I'm going to stop I know it's difficult isn't it I, I guess you know if you've ever had a rabbit you know that they chew everything up uh, and so Chung has uh, defamiliarized this in really clever ways like whatever you may be thinking I'm talking about you're probably wrong about that yeah. This, this is, is a really strong story, isn't it? It's it is a Yes, one of the strongest. Yeah. Would you how would you define this narrative then? What you know, it's not a it's not a golem story. We we're away from the golem stories now. What kind of story is it, would you say? I once went to a genre defining class and I'm still confused because I feel like people pull genres out of the air. So can you say revenge horror? Well, it is revenge horror. It's also a ghost story, but it's a ghost story that works in a in a specific way. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, the ghostly reveal. 
Uh, and that's what um, Belatsky at the LA Times is talking about. So why don't we call this a sixth sense story? Okay. Um, it also reminds me a little bit of the Princess Bride. Um, if they if they ever make Cursed Bunny, oh yeah, into a uh, you know a into movie? a film, yeah, then uh, it would be quite fun to watch with the Princess Bride. I think I think that would be uh, quite a laugh, actually. Yeah. Um, so okay, let's move on to the Frozen Finger. Now this this one really really worked for me. This was. I would agree the best one, uh, especially for that horror element and twists, not expecting the ending. Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, I, I did expect the ending. Um, I suppose because of uh, the cursed bunny preceding it in a sense saying, Hey, this is one kind of ghost story and let's do it again, but let's change all the, bits and pieces let's change out the furniture and do it a different way i think though that the frozen finger is really powerful because it's it's a lot more visual than some of the others chung uses really strong sparse imagery and it's interesting that you say that because there is no imagery because she's essentially walking in the darkness. Oh, yes, you're right. There's no visual imagery. It's, it's mostly um, auditory. And <clears throat> at the end, which I shan't disclose, there's some extremely striking auditory imagery uh, that really made my skin crawl. Um, but, yes, it's essentially about someone who's in a car accident and is led to safety by a voice. But again, I think what we have there is a sixth sense story. And I think it's not really spoiling it to say that because I think it's very obvious from uh, the first couple of lines. You start thinking, hmm, I think I know what's going on here. And, and so it is. Yeah. Um, did, but you didn't find that so much? I didn't find out until something weird was going on until the voice started changing what she was saying. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's a sort of a comfort level established. Yeah, and that's towards the end when you said there was something really chilling towards the end with the auditory imagery, uh, that the chillingness is a slow creep throughout the story. I feel comfortable, or oh, this is a good story leading to safety, or is she? And that slowly unravels as you go further and further into the story. So I didn't see it coming. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh I was just looking for the uh, the line that really got me was she hears the sounds of bones breaking. Um, I, no, that's not the entire sentence, but you know we're trying not to spoil. But having set up all this uh, auditory imagery, uh, it's it's very powerful that that bit towards the end of the story. So yeah, I, mm. I found that worked quite well, but but it's um, but it is essentially, you know, you could maybe even call it a turn of the screw type of story, uh, where you're where you're wondering who's whom and you know who's yeah. alive and who isn't. Um, That's the sense that I got from this story. And can I read a little bit out of it? Oh, please do. Yeah. Suddenly, cold fingers touch her left hand. She makes a fist, but it's too late. 
The cold fingers have wrested the round, hard and smooth ring from her hand. No, she tries to shout, but her voice has crawled down her throat. The thin voice whispers into her ear, you've been hurt badly, you really shouldn't move. Teacher Lee, it cackles softly as it moves away from her ear. So this is the part that I was like, I think that's the the tie that ties the start to the end, that section. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I wonder though, you know, they say with um, with albums that sequencing is really important. Uh, and that you just don't, you know, mix up the songs, then an album works as a progression of songs. I feel like that might be happening here. I I wonder if uh, The Frozen Finger would be as scary without um, the Cursed Bunny in front of it. And I feel like there's a very deliberate nature to the sequencing, which which is a real strength in the book. Yeah. And this brings us to Snare, which is a different kind of uh, story. Yeah, it's one of our kind of first fables, I think. Yeah, very much a fable. And it it has a, I suppose, a, a somewhat, well, it reminded me of Japanese fiction as it features a fox, and a magical fox. And uh, I was immediately uh, thinking of, is it uh, yokai? Uh, uh, yeah, they have a god, the nine-tailed uh, fox. The nine-tailed fox. I was somewhat reminded of that in Snare, a man finds a snared fox who bleeds gold and the man's uh, better self does not prevail and he takes the fox with him as a prisoner and then fables ensue. Um, it's very hard not to give away anything. I know, right? But that's, that's the, it, it's a very traditionally structured fable, I think. Mm, yeah. There's nothing surprising about this one. So I wonder if the fable in this case, would you say it is a, a traditional Korean fable or could it be more like a traditional Polish fable? Because I was double-checking just a minute ago um, because I was sure that the mm. golem belongs in the Polish tradition. Uh, you do have a large community of Jewish people in Poland. Uh, this feels, given the connection between Korea and Japan, even though they don't um, see eye to eye on a lot of things, I do a lot of reading within Japanese mythology. This feels very much like that. So I am assuming that Korea has very similar stories about foxes and the magic of foxes. So it feels Korean to me. It doesn't feel Polish. I'm going to disagree, and I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to disagree nonetheless. It it had a real um, Hansel and Gretel vibe, sort of sort of thing, and uh, I think that she's uh, that Chung is is very much leaning on 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 Polish folklore. It'd be interesting to get an expert on to tell us, like, in what ways we're both wrong. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but that was my feel, feel of this, it, that, that Snare was very much a sort of an Eastern European type of story, mm. which is interesting coming well, out of a Korean writer, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. That's how I read it. I would say the incestual part in this book isn't um, uh, Asian or Korean, so maybe there is that element. But the fox, um, 
the talking fox really does feel quite Asian, quite Korean to me. I see. I was reminded a little bit of uh, the Big Bad Wolf uh, yeah. as well. But yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I mentioned yokai before. There's there's clearly that sense too. It does feel as though um, there's a bit of an East meets West sort of deal going on in the narrative structures of this collection. Mm. Well, she has that advantage, doesn't she? She's very much first in the Russian language, Polish language, English and Korean. So she's got a lot of inspirations to draw from. Do you know much of her um, influences? No. I mean, I think Kafka is an obvious one. You say obvious, but I don't know if the audience or even myself understands why it's obvious. Did you want to talk us through that? Yeah. I mean, the Pooh Baby, for example, is a real surrealist sort of thing it's it's very sort of kafka-esque um and i and i think the uh, basically all the all the golem stories have a kafka-esque quality of um the natural order being disturbed by something that is uh very out of left field so you know one of kafka's uh famous stories is uh the metamorphosis uh, where a man wakes up and discovers that he's a, an insect. Um, it's, it's got that sort of uh, quality to it. And, and also characters who struggle to fit into society in one way or another. See, I would say that too reads to me far more as a Kafkaesque, Kafkaesque thing than it does uh, a critique of the patriarchy or capitalism per se. Yeah, I would say I don't get much of a sense of comment on the patriarchy or capitalism. But then again, you know, this is our interpretations. We're reading this with our background going into it. So I'm not quite sure what other people think on that. We'd love to hear from the audience on that. And um, if you had nothing else to say on Snare, did you want to tell us a bit more about Goodbye, My Love? Yeah, Goodbye, My Love. I felt like I was transported into an Isaac Asimov story. Um, so did I. I really enjoyed this one. I uh, and, and it is, I think, another Frankenstein or quote-unquote golem story um, where uh, a man becomes very attached to one of his android companions uh, and attempts to continue to rehouse her consciousness in uh in subsequent more advanced androids uh so you know it's a sort of a first love narrative in a sense um not sure there's a lot more we could say about that i think the frankensteining that occurs at the end which i shan't describe is 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 really interesting and i really enjoyed the image of the androids as a collective uh i think that's vague enough uh i yeah i found that very powerful but again it's another golem narrative and it plays out like all the others do in a sense i have to say this was my least favorite and this is the one that i most saw the ending coming on i mean there's only i mean Again, very Isaac Asimov. Obviously, the robots are going to win out in the end. And in terms of your comment about the album and the stories being in a particular order, I thought this one maybe didn't belong in this collection of short stories. It just seemed very 
so far, all of them have been horror, magical realism, fantasy, fable. This was sci-fi just thrown randomly in there, and there is not another sci-fi story. So I'm not sure if this would have been stronger without this piece in this collection. I'd agree it's an outlier. There's, there's no mm. two ways about it. Um, I think, though, for me, uh, I mean, w- what this story does really well is it uses really select imagery like lights and things like that and smiles. And so much of the space of the story is not described. And I think that's very effective and very clever writing. And the way I'm approaching this is we have the uh, the poo baby story, the blood baby story, and then we have, I suppose... Uh, Ghost stories? Well, no, this, this is the third of the Gollum stories. And for oh, me, yeah. of the three stories, it was the most effective. Um, and I, I think because the the framework for this one was the most complex and interesting uh, in the there are multiple subjectivities at play. So even though I would agree, it's it doesn't feel like it fits the collection exactly, although neither does the next story. Um, it... For me, it's one of the strongest stories. Uh, so I guess if we were sequencing this album, we've got a bit of a Ringo song in here, a bit of a Ringo Starr song on this on this Beatles album. See, there's a metamorphosis uh, link here. I feel like I'm almost saying oh, something stop. smart, but not quite. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, surprise, surprise, it's uh, it's the best song on the album. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's a Ringo song, but uh, you know the album could be fine without it too because it's a Ringo song. So, so that's how I would frame this one. But I think it's the most successful of the Gollum stories. I think it is the last one. So, yes. do you think this is the best story of the collection? No, I don't. But I think it's the best Gollum story in the collection. Uh, and okay, I think this is where then. it's it's worked for me is I've watched these variations on a theme occur. And for me, she hits the best version on the last attempt. Okay. So so I'm I'm calling this the best of the Gollum stories. But this brings us up to okay, Scars, which I'm I found. Say- the head is the best story of the Gollum story. I know. This is we had a completely different um you know, I could say you're as, as mad as uh, hair, but I won't. Uh, yeah, we we had a completely different reaction to it, which I think, you know, is very interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, and I remember this story being the story that I, that I was like, oh, the stories are going downhill from here. And I thought, was it there? Well, the Frozen Finger and Curse Bunny were, were strong for me. Uh, Snare... W- didn't really do it for me. And then goodbye, my love. I thought, okay, well, you know, there's going to be peaks and troughs and this is one of the peaks and that's how I read this oh, one. Okay then. Well, do you want to talk about Scars? I don't even know what to say about Scars. It's, um, it's, it's well, quite I get a, it's a fable. It's a fable. It's another fable story. Mm. Um, it's, the longest one. It's not the best mm. of the fables. I would agree. It's not the best. It was really long. I didn't like the ending. No, it's a very long story, isn't it? For the ending we got, and that's kind of what I mean. Like it, we, it, it has a, it, it has a Western ending. It has a definitive yeah. ending, but it has much more of a sort of an Eastern ending in the fact that it has almost no impact on the story as a whole. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I, I think uh, that mixture of East meets West, really, the the dangers of it are highlighted by Scars, which I which I really don't think is. I think it's the weakest piece in the in the book, and it's the well, that's longest an interesting one. statement. Yeah. So, I mean, on my perspective, going from Goodbye, My Love to Scars, I was like, oh. But um, so we've mentioned that she does this great job of mixing Eastern and Western very well, and you're saying this is the downside of the Eastern and Western mixing together. Yeah, I think so. I think it is. I think, I think it really doesn't work. And I guess if I was using my album analogy, this is a really long jam. You know, that it's a really long 12 minute jam where you're like, ah, oh, this should have been the last thing yeah. so I could just not bother with it. <laughs> sort of smack bang in the middle of side two of our, of our album. And yeah, I, I found it really tough going. It, it's a very, um, unsettling story in the sense that the main character is treated awfully. Um, and uh, there's an enormous amount of, um, I mean, again, again, if we're looking at horror narratives, this is a bit like torture porn, this one. Uh, a lot of terrible th- things happen to the protagonist. Yes. And in terms of the theme that I think runs through this is the he meets a woman and her life could have been his life, but decisions were made for him and he was the one who ended up in this horrible predicament and then in the end he steps up and does something about it and everything falls apart uh so i think this is again a story of loss and the loss of potential i feel like you've done a spoiler there but what i would say is that that's okay because you could almost just not read this story and the collection is much stronger (laughs) without it so keep that in mind which leads us to home sweet home and i have to say I can't remember that one. What's that one about? Ah, okay. So uh, the story starts off with um, a woman and her husband and people who let out the lower first floor uh, want to take 30 million won, which I think is about 300,000 Australian dollars as a premium for them uh, being there. And she looks over at the child and, you know, that scene ends there. But basically this is a story of a husband and wife. They've always talked about having an alternative lifestyle and not being under the influence of capitalism and working to the bone. But to get this, she worked to the bone for seven years, sold the apartment they had in Korea and bought a house with multiple floors that they were going to let out for an income. And from that moment on, everything slowly falls apart. Uh, In this building, there is a basement and there's a whole bunch of costumes and strange objects. And if you're a fan of horror, you know to never go into the basement and touch those objects of horror. So, yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that story without giving anything away. Yeah, and I I can't believe I forgot what that one was because that's actually – in terms of probably the, the ghost second stories, strongest ghost story for yeah, me. Yeah, I think it um, the complexities it was dealing with. I think did it very well. There was a lot of great kind of wry, humorous scenes uh, that I enjoyed in that one, uh, but also that horror element was there as well. Yeah, and it's a it's a um, it's another one of these sixth sense stories. Um, so yeah, Home Sweet Home. That one really worked for me. Uh, it 
it continues to follow the same basic structure as the other ghost stories. Yeah. But it does it in so much more of an interesting way. I agree. There's yeah, there seems to be that like that reveal at the end for the sixth sense ones. Oh, I always feel like I'm letting too much out. But the next one, Ruler of the Winds and Sands. This is is it the third of our fables within this uh collection? It is, it is, and I think it's the best of the fables for me. Oh, now I've got to think about which one was my favorite? I actually enjoyed Snares. Okay, I did enjoy this one as well. So, Rule of the Winds and Sands, um, we have this very mythical, otherworldly sense. Uh, these people live in deserts and grassy plains. Uh, there's a magician or a mage that lives in a flying golden ship. And, you know, humans are greedy and we hunger for gold. So the king of the land cuts off the magician's arm and the magician then gives a curse upon the king and all his offspring that they will be missing in some sense. The king has a child uh, and that child is blind. And then they're trying to organize a wedding and the princess finds out that this poor prince is blind and she goes off to uh, exact revenge or try and fix this curse. Yeah, and I'm not going to say anymore. Well, no, her, her motives are very, um, very noble. She she plans to to beg for his uh, release from the curse. Now, it's been pointed out to me that I nod a lot while you're talking, and I've come to the conclusion, like like one of those, you know, dolls on a spring, like you have on your Maneki Neko. Yeah, um, and I'm beginning to wonder if this is not a, a bunny curse you've put on me. Where every time you talk, I just spend the entire time nodding in agreement because uh, it's yeah, it's been pointed out to me. I'm like seem like I'm having a seizure or something. So, uh, oh no! Forgive me, folks. I've been cursed by the bunny curse of Shannon. I can't help myself. Tough crowd. I know, right? Yeah, man. You can't even nod without someone pointing it out. Too much nodding. Too much nodding. I'm trying not to do it. I'm, I'm focusing too much on my chinning. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is a really good story. And again, it kind of went where I kind of thought it was going to go, but yeah, um, it, it does it in a, in a very interesting way. And I liked the ending because the ending for the most part, it's pretty clear what has occurred, but there's a tiny bit of doubt in the ending as to what her final decision is. And I, I can't be any more vague than that. For me, anyway, yeah. I wasn't 100% convinced she'd made the decision she said she was making. Yeah, I'm going to make a statement here. Mm. I think you also didn't enjoy the second half. The only reason you're saying you did is because of reunion. Well, no, I mean, hang on a second. I, I really liked uh, – so we got – okay. So I really liked Goodbye, My Love. That's This is the beginning of the second half, right? Okay. Loved that story. I loved Home Sweet Home. I very this much enjoyed Ruler of the Winds and Sands, but I, I, the fable stories were the weakest for me. I hated yeah. Scars. I, I can't lie. Scars was not for me. Uh, and then, of course, we You got, hated Scars? Yeah, I thought it was – I thought it was um, – Given your vehement language, therefore, if you add it all up as plus and negatives, <laughs> I feel like I don't, I don't, I don't feel like we are. So, okay. I, I would say that in the first half, the strong stories for me are Cursed Bunny and the Frozen Finger. 
Yeah. Uh, I could happily do without the head, the embodiment, and snare. Um, in the second half, I suppose I really loved Goodbye, My Love, Home, Sweet Home, and Reunion. So, so it gets three. Rule of the Winds and Sands, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could, the fable stories I could probably lose. Um, and, and certainly Scars, I think, is the weakest. Um, yeah. in a collection, but on balance, I think you know, the second half worked for me. And and what I what I found was the best sixth sense story, in my opinion, is Reunion. The best fable story is Ruler of the Winds and Sands. Uh, the best Gollum story is Goodbye, My Love. So for me, these variations on a theme that she was doing, or variations on a genre, I think she nailed it with the last en- entry in each one. So, yeah, now I'm saying the second half, uh, but you know, like if, if you were saying to people, no, 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 the second half is going to be terrible. You got to get into this first half. Why is the first half better? Would you say? Well, I'm just going to say my favorites of the fables, the sixth sense and the body, the golem stories. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So Frozen Finger was the best Sixth Sense one. The Gollum one, probably the head. And the Fable, the snare. All the Rule of the Winds and Sands was very close. But then Curse Bunny was it's a very close second to the Frozen Finger. Okay. Okay. Well, we definitely um we definitely came at this collection in a different way. Uh, I think we can agree that it's a polarizing collection. Yeah. I mean, Margaret Atwood's Murder in the Dark, we both love that. So this is a very different review today, everyone. Um, so, Reunion. Reunion. Um, Did you want to talk about that one? Oh, do I? I, I suppose, um, you know, this one is uh, it's somewhere in Poland, isn't it? Warsaw, I thought. Oh, it was in Warsaw. Um, and yeah, so basically, uh, a student, uh, and a librarian meet and have coffee or drinks together and conversations about ghosts who walk around the square and they develop a romantic attachment and he likes to be tied up, uh, you know, and there are no judgments here. In fact, um, cursed bunny, you look like you would be the sort of cursed bunny who would tie people up on request, <laughs> I have to say. Um, but yes, yeah, so she, you know, she agrees to tie him up and it's fine, but there is a darker and more sophisticated reason why he likes to be tied up. And it's it's very sad, I think, and very moving and, and very haunting in in the very specific sense of the word very haunting so for me the reunion is a beautiful story the strongest story in the collection and a great way to end the collection that's 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 my two cents what do you think curse bunny well i think that yes this is a very strong story it's it very the way that i read it, it very much follows i imagine what some of her experiences were studying in Poland. And I think it's an oddball. I think it's like goodbye, my love. I also think this maybe doesn't belong here because the the sense of it's very different. Again, it's 
uh, unrequited love almost in a sense. And yeah, maybe I don't think it was a good one to end on because I was kind of left with this bereft feeling of death and loss and the rubbing out, the um, emet to met, meth. Well, yeah, I death. mean, in a sense, that is what occurs. I guess you could say the golem and the sixth sense narratives, and maybe if we want to really stretch, the fables all come together in reunion and, oh, and yeah, find true. their sort of uh, equilibrium in that story. Uh, I do feel like I am stretching a little there, but but yeah, I, I thought it was a strong ending to what was a very um, up and down collection. Uh, truth Up be and told. down collection. So, what would you give this book? I'm going to give it three and a half. Okay, I'm going to give it four. Now, before this conversation, we were actually a little bit higher. What happened? Um, well, I think that um, it's it's interesting when you when you kind of go through. I mean, there are there are there are ten stories here, and I can pretty much account for seven of them. Uh, being, you know, worth reading. I think potentially three of them aren't. So that gives me three and a half. This is how I've decided to do it. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's my very simple way of doing it. How did you arrive at four? I read The Head and Embodiment and I was like, yep, this is a five star. It's amazing. We hit uh, Goodbye, My Love. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe 4.5. You know, it's not like it's not got anything on Murder in the Dark. And then towards the end and after discussing with you, I'm like, it is a very up and down mix of stories. Uh, I disagree in terms of the way this was put together, what was included, and potentially the other short stories that weren't included in this. Uh, a lot of it could have been a lot uh, more stronger, I think. And now I'm kind of agreeing with you that a collection of short stories should have maybe a stronger theme. In terms of defining this as genre-defying, maybe it hasn't worked in that way, the way that they thought it would. So yeah, no. Well, I, I don't. I think it, I think it's a mixed bag. I think I think it's very much a mixed bag of Easter eggs. This one. Um, so you're going to stick with four, though? Or are you are you are you? St- I'm sticking with four, and I want to say it's a mixed bag of mince pies. <laughs> Fantastic! I wonder what the mince is made of. Curse bunny, rabbit. Yeah, right. No, that's that's why and the curse, liver. That's why the curse bunny's after you. Um, so that's Curse Bunny, and and yeah, it was um, it's worth a read, uh, but it, I wouldn't say it's like an essential book that you absolutely have to get, you know, yesterday. Okay, but additionally, because we haven't actually mentioned this yet, this was shortlisted for the International Booker Prize, so uh, it has been a favorite of a lot of people's. So check it out, and we'd love to hear your opinion on it because to get shortlisted is a big deal, especially for the Booker Prize. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, again, I mean, there's some great experts on that panel probably. Uh, And so you should, you know, take what they have to say very seriously and, you know, take what we have to say perhaps with a grain of salt, Um, you know, in in classic, yeah, (laughs) throw it over the shoulder, (laughs) knock the curse bunny off my shoulder. Um, Which brings us to the next book we're going to review. Um, and it is bum 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 Pastoralia. Which Well, I'm completely thrown. This is so shocking for me because 
I had an idea of what you were going to recommend, but this is not, I've never heard this title before. Santa pulls it out of his bag of tricks, Pastoralia by George Saunders of Lincoln in the Bardo fame. Ah, is this a before or after? Uh, This is before. Uh, Quote from the Independent on Sunday, this stuff is gold dust, fiercely inventive, unforgettably funny, and sentimental in all the right places. Um, so let me, let me give you the back. Let me give you the back. In Pastoralia, elements of contemporary life are twisted, merged, and amplified into a slightly skewed version of modern America. A couple live and work in a caveman theme park where speaking is an instantly punishable offense. A born loser attends a self-help seminar where he is encouraged to rid himself of all the people crapping in your oatmeal. And a male exotic dancer and his family are terrorized by their decomposing aunt, who visits them with a solemn message from beyond the grave. With an uncanny combination of deadpan naturalism and uproarious humor, Saunders creates a world that is both indelibly original, yet hauntingly familiar. Sounds good? That that sounds amazing. And I really did enjoy Lincoln and the Bargo. Yeah. So, you know, I had that in mind as well. Plus the cover, look at this. It's um it's your classic kind of pulp fiction, fifty foot woman kind of thing. Uh so you can impress your friends with that. They'll be like, What are you reading? You go, Don't worry about it. It's literature. So, yeah. Don't worry, my uneducated friend. <laughs> I'm being highbrow. Right. This is highbrow pulp fiction. Don't judge me. You don't know me. Yeah. So there we are. That's well, that's going to be the next one. Um, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm probably going to have to rush out now and go buy it so I can read it over the Christmas break. Yep. Um, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. I am very excited. And uh, next podcast, we're going to be talking about what we wish we'd been gifted for Christmas. So I've been, you know, slipping words here and there, you know, uh, book voucher, book voucher. And so hopefully Luke's been paying attention. What do you think, uh, Joan? Do you think Joan's been paying attention to your deepest needs and desires, Gareth? Well, yeah. I mean, I think Joan's going to give me uh, nothing. Um, oh, you've been a naughty boy. I have been a naughty boy. I feel boy. so wrong saying that in a rabbit costume. I know, right? Where's the <laughs> where's the rope? Um, we we generally don't give each other presents at Christmas, and I think this is our gift to each other in the sense that it's the end of the year, and we're desperately trying to find gifts for people, and it's so exhausting. You know, I love birthdays, uh, and I really spend a lot of time thinking about the person I'm going to be giving a gift to, and and but at Christmas it's everyone. And and so I, I don't get the same level of enthusiasm for Christmas that I get for birthdays. Birthdays, I'm I'm a big birthday guy, but a little bit of a Christmas Grinch. Mm, okay, uh, well, goodbye, Christmas Grinch. I should have painted Gareth. my face green, shouldn't I? What was I thinking? You should have. You would have fulfilled the Christmas criteria a little bit more. Now that, you know, I think we've graduated, you should flop your um, little – Pompon over. Oh, that hurt. Oh, no. There we are. Okay. Well, I really enjoyed today's session and I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, once again, we would love to hear your opinions on Bora Chung's Cursed Bunny. As we said, it was a very mixed bag, uh, very different reviews for, from both Gareth and I. We'd love to hear what you guys thought. Did you have anything to add before I 
Say goodbye to everyone. No, just uh, keep yourself safe over this holiday season. Drink responsibly. And, um, you know. No meth. It's death. Yeah, right. And stay off the meth. Uh, live your truth, which is, yeah, a much better way of going. Yeah, truth is life. Isn't that the whole point of the golem? Exactly. Truth and eggnog are life. So stick to those. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll see you for our New Year's Eve episode. Is that right? Oh, yeah, potentially. Well, then we'll see everyone in the new year. Or, or in the new year, I might bring sparklers just for fun. Okay, well, Merry Christmas, everyone, and we'll see you in the new year. Merry Goodbye. Christmas. Bye.